I wanted to get Laura on the show for a number of reasons. I met her through Steph Hansen of Wits Up, and coincidentally, it was the day prior to her uprooting her life in Sydney and taking the plunge into a full-time career as a professional athlete. I was certainly ignorant at the time as to what this meant for this random chick sitting across from me at a bar in St Kilda. Since then, she's had a very successful career and a stellar racing resume to match. Her performance and experience continued to grow and all the pieces were coming together, but Laura faced an ongoing challenge of often being the bridesmaid, but never the bride. That was until Port Macquarie Ironman in 2017, where she became Ironman Australia Women's Champion. It was emotional to watch as Laura ran down the finishing chute and celebrated the years that culminated to that moment. Laura's coached by Matt Dixon, the author of The Well-Built Triathlete and Fast Track Triathlete. With a focus on building the fundamentals of health, strength and specific training for optimal performance, Laura has been able to express her potential as quite a robust athlete and on today's podcast we get into some of the key aspects that enable her to perform at a high level with minimal injury or immunity issues. Laura has been very open on the podcast about some of her struggles and gets honest with those one percenters that she focuses on. My hope is that you come away with a greater perspective and understanding of who is Laura Sedal, but also some key action steps that you can take away to be a more robust athlete. You've done all the right things. You followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together. From training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd, endurance coach, wellness advocate and triathlete here to educate, inspire and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind and enjoy the show. All right, team, welcome to the Healing the Grumpy Athletes podcast yet again. I have Laura Sadar with us today, and my plan is to take her to topics she hasn't been to before because she's a uh, frequent podcast guest and host. Uh, so we're very lucky to have her. Welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am a little bit nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> that was my plan. No, no need to be nervous. Um, I just really hope the uh, listeners enjoy and, and value the topics we're going to bring up today and we've had a chat before the show about you know what we want to get out of it for yourself but also for listeners uh, so yeah after the show I'd love to hear everyone's feedback and hopefully you learn things about Laura you didn't know but also for yourself to take away some tidbits about health and wellness and being a professional athlete or an age group athlete and bringing the worlds of performance and wellness together. So I want to start with one of the key principles I think you've spoken about a bit and I know your coach Matt Dixon focuses on is managing immunity, recovery and essentially holistic principles to keep you robust. And I would definitely call you a robust athlete. So what do you think is the 
the key things that you do that keep you robust? Gosh, wow. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, that's very much Matt's principles around the whole rounded, not just as an athlete, but as a person as well. And that um, if you are achieve, achieving in sport should mean you're achieving in life as well. And it shouldn't just be that the sport is a sacrifice of everything else going on. And that's your health and your family and all of that. For me, you know, I will say, in touch wood, I, I am. I do think I'm. I'm quite lucky that um, I do tend to be robust. However, you want to sort of use that word. Um, I don't know whether it's from just having played sports from a very young age and always been active um, and that sort of thing. I don't think there's anything I do that's rocket science. Um, I try, I'm pretty old school, I don't take supplements, um, I don't take any any vitamins or anything additional like that, I just try and maintain relatively clean, healthy eating, um, try to get my sleep, that's probably my one of my weaker areas that I need to work on is the sleep side of my robustness, so I do know um, and that comes from being in the corporate world, like many many of the age groupers. You know, you you're at a corporate job, and then you're trying to fit all this training in that you want to do outside of that. And I, when I was working, I was you know surviving on four four to five hours sleep a night, and fully believed that I could survive on that, and fully believed I was one of those lucky people that didn't need that much sleep. When you and, left the corporate world, did that lack of sleep impact you at all? When I left the corporate yeah. world. Yeah, was there any fallout to that? Um, it's taken me a long time to break those habits, mm. and I still don't get it right all the time, but I definitely notice now as an athlete and trying to get the next level of performance when I'm, I don't get enough sleep, and I know which environments and which situations are better for me getting sleep than, than not having that rest and recovery. What um, environments do you find do help your sleep? Not having to get up for early morning swim sessions, <laughs> <laughs> which I appreciate is really not um, a, 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 really not a great answer for, for all the age groupers out there who will be going, well, that, that doesn't work because you have to go to, off to work. But because I'm, I struggle to go to bed early, so that's a habit that I'm trying to break. I am getting better at it, but I do struggle to shut down or to just, go to bed at the end of the day, lots of things. I don't sleep that well, so part of it is that fear of almost going to bed and sleeping is like a chore because I know I'm going to have a restless night. Mm. Um, so I almost postpone it until I am super tired and hopefully then just sort of crash out. What I found, though, in certain places I was living uh, and trying to train full-time was that um, if I was going to bed late but then having to get up early for a, a squad training session or something in the morning, my sleep was getting limited. And ultimately, over a period of days and weeks, that was affecting my general mood and obviously fatigue levels and then your output in training and, and not being able to take that training session or that race day performance to the next level. So I have to find environments where... I don't train quite as early, which means if I'm still going to bed, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I'm still going to get a seven-hour sleep in um, over that over the night, which for me is kind of is kind of good. I 
I'm not a person that can sleep for 10 hours or 11 hours or 12 hours. I'm not a professional athlete like that. Um, I struggle to nap in the day, and I think that's come from my background of just always feeling like I should be doing something. But I have been working on some processes the last year and then sort of this year again to try and help not necessarily napping in the day but just kind of I've been doing a headspace app brilliant so 10 minutes um and often I find I fall asleep in that 10 minutes and I get to the end and he says so how did the session go and I'm like I have no idea because I was asleep <laughs> so I clearly need that sleep but I guess it's just that that time to sort of sit back the the interesting thing I've noticed sorry and I'm going on a bit here was when I was in the corporate world and I was working in training and trying to achieve everything I wanted to do in, in my job and in sport, and I was like, brilliant, I'm one of these lucky people. I can do four hours sleep at night. I can get up and train in the morning. I can go to work and train at night and, and roll on and keep going. And it's great, and you can survive. You can, and you can, but it is survival. And what I think people don't realize, and I didn't realize at the time, was that, yes, I was performing and I was doing okay in my job and I was doing okay in my sport and relatively it was it was great at both of those things but I was probably never going to make the next step in either and was probably almost failing is the wrong word but just perform, performing at a level but not having the energy or the recovery or the rest to be able to drop down a level to then step up to the next level does that 100% you brought up so many good points there and I think you mentioned initially that as soon as your sleep starts to deteriorate therefore your recovery and performance starts to deteriorate but I find and forgive the generalization but it's a hard thing for athletes to do to be intuitive and take notice of those changes and the impact that they're having so they get into those routines and they just continue to rock up at training at x time with x people and bust out the same sets without regard for the change in sleep and I'm so glad you brought it up as essentially our first topic because it is the foundation to so many things like hormones and immunity and even changes in nutrition and recovery and performance so um, you've already brought up one great strategy, which is the Headspace app. Can I yep. take a stab in the dark and say you found that difficult to start initially? Yeah, just from that being disciplined to capture literally 10 minutes a day to to do the Headspace. And like I said, often I found I've fallen asleep. So I'm, am I getting the most value out of that? the actual mindfulness process, Mm. um, I'm not so sure, but it was just that being disciplined every day and taking time out of your day to do it. And look, it's, it's, uh, I can probably hear a lot of people saying it's probably easy for me to say because I'm, you know, it's hard to get that, the sleep hours in when you are trying to train and have a corporate job and family and all that sort of things. And I've removed some of those stresses we'll call them like in terms of the corporate world out of my life so I don't have to manage those as well yeah I don't think you have to apologize for that I I have to I have to interject because uh anyone has time anyone for 10 minutes a day of mindfulness and breathing yeah anyone I I've with a with quite a few of my friends who are obviously still 
still in the corporate world and have incredibly stressful jobs and that sort of thing. And for, for me, starting to use the Headspace app, um, and I'll, I'll put my hands up, it did deteriorate towards the end of the year last year, which is why, I've, again, sort of, why ever we need the 1st of January to make content, <laughs> set new goals? We could just start any day of the week or whatever, but we did. Um, so I'm making a conscious effort to get back on, on top of it and starting completely sort of from the beginning. But I recommended it to a few of my friends who I saw struggling a little bit over the year with everything that was going on in their lives. And, you know, and it, it, but it was really trying to say that even if it's before you walk into the office at work, if you drive there or however you get there, but if you drive there, literally sit in your car for another 10 minutes and put the Headspace app on. Mm. That's not, that shouldn't be that hard, but we just get caught up into this rat race and this rapid, I've got to keep moving, I've got to get into the office, I've got to get to lunch, I've got to get training. You know, the other thing is to do, is what I've spoken to a few people about, you know, book a meeting room for 15 minutes over lunchtime, and if it's in your diary, if it's in your Outlook calendar, you're more likely to stick to it and go and sit in the meeting room and do the headspace. You can spare 15 minutes over, you know, over your lunch hour. 100%. Um, make that, you know, get up away from your desk um, or, you know, go to the park with your sandwich or whatever it is yeah. that you would normally eat at your desk because you think you can't leave your desk. Um, and just, it's literally 10 minutes. And it doesn't even have to be 10 minutes. They've now got like a three-minute SOS version, I guess they call it, <laughs> or just a three-minute. It's just, that way of stopping it's breaking the cycle yeah and breaking the cycle yeah 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 and there are um there's a great another app similar to headspace called buddhify that i recommend because that's got tracks that suit moving mindfulness so there's a pie chart and you might choose a track for while driving so it's not going to put you to sleep a (laughs) mindfulness track for walking walking the dog or eating your lunch so it relates to what you're doing and where you are waiting for a doctor's appointment waiting for a meeting so it's apps like that and some of the tracks are two minutes some are eight they are so simple and easy to integrate to daily life that there's absolutely no excuse interesting that those I'd be interested in that, just stuff like that you're, whilst you're walking. And and the other thing is, you know, if it's things you can do like that, it would be so much more beneficial, okay, the app's coming through your phone. But to listen to something like that for two to five minutes while you're walking. And still chuck it on um, aeroplane mode. Yeah. To get your morning coffee. Yeah. Rather than actually walking with your head in your phone, looking at all the social media or whatever like that well that's my other point anyone that has a facebook account has time for mindfulness yeah Yeah. (laughs) in my book one of my tricks is uh i put mindfulness activity as an item in training peaks for athletes and for myself and uh it's a fair generalization that most triathletes and endurance athletes are a type and like to do things well and get the green quote unquote in training peaks so if there's a mindfulness session in there that says 10 minutes and it's not completed and it's red trust me they're gonna want to do it (laughs) that's a great idea i must say it works better for me like i i'm again that same type of personality i'm a list person so normally the night before i write the list of what I'm doing the next day and timings and stuff like that to get it planned and 
if I write headspace in or whatever it is in, it normally it normally does help. And yeah, also planning. now forcing myself, you know, um, when I come in from a training session before I open my laptop or do anything like that, literally putting headspace on straight, almost before I've kind of showered and eaten kind of thing, but just it forces me to to do it before you convince yourself that there's more important things and there's other distractions to do. Yeah, that's another important point It's of like, I think people need to sometimes know the why to get invested rather than just being told, hey, you should go to listen to this app. Yeah. When it was it recommended to to you, or did you dive into some science, or what prompted you to look into it? Um, I think for well, for quite a few years, my mum has said I should do meditation. Go, mum. <laughs> I think from a I'm quite a worrier. I'm quite a stress head. Mm. Um, and so and that was through school. That was through work and everything. So she's she'd recommended sort of meditation or breathing um, exercises. Funnily enough, I got my mum into Headspace um, in the summer holidays and, and signed her up for a year's subscription or whatever. So um, that was quite amusing. And now I'm forcing her to do it. <laughs> but um, I think, and, and again, also going back to, like I said, I, I, I have issue. I, I wasn't sleeping properly or I don't, don't feel I have great sleep. And so it sort of came up from those um those conversations but also again um the whole recovery bit now as a professional athlete is and I still struggle to get my head around it but it's actually part of my job like to rest and recover is is part of the job description and however guilty I feel for sitting with my legs up on the sofa or or on the bed or whatever it is um that is actually part of my job now and I have to get my head around that and so the headspace came about as part of that to help trying to help help with that brilliant essentially Um, your recovery mindfulness and sleep would fall under uh, a performance management review (laughs) in your world so if you were to performance manage yourself and give yourself a a score out of 10 (laughs) for your ability to manage sleep mindfulness and stress what would you rate yourself at at the moment do you think moment I think I'm I'm probably the seven to eight Mm -hmm. I think I'm there's definitely still room for improvement um and again at different parts of the year and different parts of life I cope with it better than not um you know the other thing I try and do to to help force that rest and recovery is kind of um get a load of good book good books to read and, and actually be wanting to go to bed or be wanting to open the book. To, so, again, forcing myself into that, yeah. that recovery. Getting off but a screen helps I, as well. Say again? Getting off a screen helps. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Which, and that's, <laughs> I struggle with that because I'm very global. Mm. So I don't have a permanent base. So for me to carry, and I love flicking through the pages of a book. But it's just impractical. I don't like throwing them away either. But it's just impractical for me to like lug. However, I already have enough luggage. So trying to carry loads of books around Mm -hmm. is hard. So a lot of my reading is done now through uh, like an iPad Kindle. 
um, which I know isn't ideal. Um, you can still switch on the night mode and there's um, I, applications yeah. you can install to block the blue light, which is the harmful light. Um, I, put it on the, I have it on the night, the yeah. night light from whatever. I think I, I put it on from 7 till 7 kind of thing Perfect. overnight. Yeah, if anyone that hasn't done that already, make sure if you're using devices probably from... 6 p.m. onwards I would make sure it's either on night mode airplane mode or a you've installed an app called flux if you're using a computer so it's f dot lux and it takes or reduces that blue light from your screen alternatively there's a there's these really nerdy glasses and I'll show you them at the end of the show when we turn our cameras back on that uh, block blue light so oh. it can help reduce that impact of screen time of an evening if you've got to study or work or, or whatever the demands of life are um, to allow that melatonin increase because that's what blue light can do it's just blocking or stunting that melatonin production to help you get a deep sleep yeah uh so yeah those glasses like i think ebay they're 50 dollars australian um, they might not look exceptional. I've got a really small head. They look ginormous on me, but I'm 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 willing to do it for the good sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They look better on other people. Um, so going back to the sleep, we've mentioned a couple things about environment. So you've got your Headspace app um, and a few books to help you to get to sleep. Is there anything else you change in your environment to assist your sleep? Um, again, a little bit difficult, and I'm trying not to make excuses here, but it will probably sound like that. Because I'm so global, I'm often living in rooms that I'm renting, or at the moment I have, a, and it's lovely, and I'm very grateful, but I, I rent a studio apartment. But I realise it's not ideal from a sleep environment perspective, because it's one room, and like where I'm sitting now in the kitchen, but I can see my bed. Ah, yeah, right. Bed, I can see the TV. And I, and it's just a square box with everything in that box. And so I find it very hard to create that separation um, to, to create the right environment to help yourself get into that sleep mode. So I know everyone talks about, you know, like no electronics in the bedroom and... and <laughs> You'd have to have none in the house, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and create that kind of um, peaceful, decluttered environment that your your bedroom and your bed is a place for rest and sleep. Um, but I find that hard because it's all in one room for me where I'm living. Yeah, um, definitely. And even when you're moving around and living in... Um, you know, at homestays, which is fabulous, and that sort of thing, it's sometimes, you, you are tend to be living, I, I am living with everything. Um, well, if I, I throw try, one... I try to have that separation, I try and um, get into to a routine, like I said, trying to go to bed and look forward to reading my book kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Putting my practitioner hat on for a moment, I'm going to give you a few tasks. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got an eye mask? Do you know what? <laughs> I have. So when I flew home to the UK for Christmas, and I was very fortunate that the lovely people at Qantas spoiled me and bought me, even though I was in um, economy, but they bought me a pack which had the eye mask in. Um, and I've actually started using it. The Good. Last yeah. Um, it, not so much when I go to sleep to start with, but also the room that I'm in, um, 
it gets quite light as soon as the sun comes up. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether that's kind of waking me up. So I've started sort of putting it on. It feels weird going to sleep with it fully, like, on to start with at night. But I will put it, I have put it on the last couple of mornings to then sort of go back to sleep. Yeah, I think you could keep it on and um, when you're going to sleep, mainly because of what you've just described with that studio apartment. Like, the smallest light, uh, I'm just staring at, say, my MacBook light charger which is a really small dot um it's all those accumulation of small lights from the tvs and the fridges and everything in your house that could be impacting that melatonin production and sleep um yep. or you could just switch off like uh things at the powerpoint for example yep. tvs obviously keep the, the fridge on <laughs> um but yeah, the eye mask was one suggestion. And then the other one for anyone else in this situation or anyone struggling with sleep would be using essential oils of an evening. Um, and you can get quite small devices now so you, and they're light and you could travel with them anywhere. They just plug into a USB port. Um, so like a lavender oil or a sleep essence oil to start burning at sort of that 7 p.m. or dinner time to put that brain into a relax mode when it really doesn't want to yeah uh, do you train often in the evening or late afternoon um i uh, again i now obviously i used to when i was working and i'd be training quite you know 6 30 to 7 8 o'clock or whatever by the time you've had dinner it's quite late mm. but now i obviously try and avoid that so that i'm not training late at night mm. um I have sort of one session a week, which does end up being a bit later, um, but I'm always aware of that, and that does leave me a bit more wired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to get to sleep that night, but yeah, um, I'm quite aware of because I have because I'm fortunate that I have the opportunity to train earlier and in the day that I try I try and do that. Yeah, definitely. I was. It's an, a good one to note that for anyone training of an evening you will need additional recovery to help uh, the stress response or the cortisol hormones come down because when we've got the increase in cortisol hormones again melatonin production is shunted so we bring the cortisol down and melatonin can increase so things like legs up the wall belly breathing headspace all those things you described uh, just need to be amplified for anyone doing pm sessions particularly if they involve intensity or power type intervals um otherwise sleep will definitely be disturbed um but i mean everyone's different i wouldn't put pressure on yourself to try and sleep 11 to 12 if you're performing well and feeling good on seven then great um and i yeah i I know i think i've I've kind of now um having been full-time for a few years i've kind of um that seven to eight is about good for me Mm. Um, and if i'm getting that pretty consistently um i i mean i've and then the odd time you know you try and not set your alarm and sometimes i will like wipe out for for longer than that but um that doesn't happen so often but that seven to eight is normally pretty pretty good for me on a on a sleep perspective yeah good so that's one of the things that keeps you robust and protects your immune system you mentioned eating clean and looking after nutrition Give us some more specifics about your nutritional philosophy and what it looks like to avoid having to take vitamins and minerals and getting that through your nutrition. Um, again, I'm no um, expert and I'm probably certainly not the best person um, on a diet perspective. I'm not 
I don't think I'm a super anal triathlete that only eats certain things or doesn't eat certain things. I I love all foods. I've always loved all foods. I was brought up, if it was on your plate, you eat it kind of thing, and you can't leave the table until everything's gone. Um, so portion control is probably more of my issue. Um, but I just, look, I just don't want to have to... I, I like to know what's going into my body and that it's as natural as it can be. And so, and I do believe that you should be able to get all your nutrition and your vitamins and minerals and that sort of thing from the food that you eat. And so, and also, I just don't want to take the risk of taking supplements and the the risk that it's contaminated, and then that's going to show up in a in a drugs test. And you know, I get a lot of pushback when people say, "Yeah, but you need to take this supplement and this supplement, and it's been tested. It's been." Um, uh, you know, officially accredited that it's a clean and it's not got anything in. And I'm like, there is no guarantee that that supplement is clean. It's being made in a factory that's making elite, effectively could have anything in that factory. Hmm. And so there's a huge risk of contamination. And for me, it's just not worth the risk. And I prefer not to, not to have that, that worry um, by taking anything and you also I don't know and it probably is an un, uneducated view but again even if that supplement is clean and it's been approved one again you don't know how it's going to react with any contamination it has had from where it was produced but also you don't know how it's going to react with your body and every everybody is different and I probably have we might come into this fairly wacky hormones <laughs> anyway. Um, and so I don't know, even if you say something's clean, how it's going to respond and react inside my body. And I'd prefer just to not take that risk. So from a diet perspective, I just try and eat, um, try and remove the processed sugars as much as I can, um, try and eat you know, lots of fruit, lots of salad, lots of veg, proteins, boiled eggs, chicken, steak, that sort of thing, tuna. Um, I do have a bad habit with eating probably too many nuts than I should. Um, and I am a chocoholic, probably self-confessed chocoholic. So how I manage, you know, I'll most of the time if I, if I don't buy the chocolate and don't go anywhere near it, I'm okay and I can go without it. Like So leading into races and, and big training periods, I will try not just not to have any you know because I'm one of those people if you buy a bar of chocolate I can't have one square and leave the rest of it in the fridge that just doesn't work if I if the bar is opened the whole lot's going okay I live with a chocoholic and I never used to be into chocolate it just wasn't my thing until I met him and he undid me when we met so that was seven years ago and like post big training weekends you know the treat would be uh for a rochers or a particular block of cadbury and i look back now i was like wow i did so much damage to my immune system and my recovery and whatnot and i am not robust like you i am very envious i break down at the slightest thing and have to be very careful so that meeting my chocoholic of a husband was a little bit <laughs> detrimental <laughs> But the changes I've made since, it's fascinating. I just couldn't care less about it. I I don't want it. I don't crave it. I, If it gets put in front of me, I'll have a square and I'm like, 
cool, that's enough now. It's fascinating because yeah. it did, I did used to crave and you know, the typical PMS cravings premenstrually, yeah. I'd have it heaps that week. So yeah, fascinating, but we'll, we'll talk about the chocolate. Um, I think you mentioned a, a really good point about eating everything on your plate. And the first thing that comes to mind is one of the most common reasons that athletes come and see me for consultations or they don't realize it but their symptoms are because of this they're under eating I, yeah. I think there's not enough credit to food volume as an athlete pro or not it's a high uh, volume and it's not something our body's really naturally meant to be doing and we have to fuel in that way so I actually think that that philosophy go mum again th that she's brought you up with is brilliant and uh at your level it'd be pretty hard to overeat I reckon <laughs> you have a mum that like cooks for 5,000 people though and there's like four of you at home or even better like because I'm one of four girls and when I was like the only person and I'm the youngest so as I was the only one left at home she'd still cook for like for four people. people and I'd be like hang on there's only three of us at home now <laughs> don't eat this but anyway but uh, no it is it is true so about the the kind of eat what's on your plate sort of thing yeah and when I when I find people shift to cleaner more natural eating they get concerned about portion sizes and because it's different they don't know what to do but when you're eating whole foods natural foods from the ground mixed with healthy fats and proteins it's so hard to overeat because you're getting satiety and I really find that under eating is actually more of an issue than overeating in in athletes when they're eating uh whole foods that is definitely yeah. So that's obviously keeping you nice and robust. And that supplement conversation is huge. And I think I only really respected the depths of it uh, two years ago going through the ASADA course as to even the supplements that are certified for sport, there's still a risk. And yeah. I didn't give that enough credit at all. And we went through a bunch of case studies. And one really sticks out in my mind. I can't remember the details at the moment, but the short of the long was that a product had been tested, or an athlete had been tested positive. They ruled it down to a particular product. So that product got tested uh, and they found traces of XYZ, they went back to the manufacturer, went back to, through each stage in the manufacturing, found the culprit was the filter. Yeah. Clean the filter and it's still tested positive. Clean the filter five times before it was clean. <laughs> yeah. And this, imagine, you know, what um, commercial manufacturing plants are putting out and it turns out that that manufacturing plant had bought the filter secondhand from somewhere in Asia who had previously produced that um, an item with that illicit substance. Yeah. Absolutely nuts. And that's where my eyes were widened as to just how easily something could be contaminated. It, it's scary how easy things can be contaminated. And like you said, things get they're classified as being certified that they're okay and they've been certified that they're tested. But, oh, you, I don't know. It just... Maybe I'm over-paranoid, but it... it I don't want to take that risk. It's a personal on. choice. Yeah, I like, think... It's a personal choice. Yeah. Yeah. I think every pro has the right to make that choice. If I was a pro, I'd be... If I did choose to take supplements and I had to, it would... Want, they'd have to be certified for sport, blanket. Yeah. No way around it. Um, and secondly, and this applies to everyone, supplements shouldn't be taken blindly. That was something else you brought up. 
you don't know its reaction. For me, a supplement protocol needs to be based on someone's individuality and that can only be done by pathology testing. We need to know if that supplement's actually needed and there's actually a deficiency. Um, because, yeah, even the, the best things, magnesium's a great example, you know, it gets promoted for lots of things like sleep and recovery and energy, but it can, it can respond so differently in so many people. Uh, yes, so before my computer overheated and you lost connection, we were talking about uh, pathology testing, uh, individualizing a supplement protocol being crucial, but also further age groupers out there that are looking to qualify for world, Kona, whatever level it is, if you're on a podium, I think it's notable to be conscientious about what you're putting in your body from protein powders to supplements to even gels and your choice um, of sports nutrition because it's not just pros that are vulnerable to, to testing. No, and it, and it shouldn't be. I mean, you, everyone should be who's competing at the sport should be clean. There is no reason why any anybody should be taking, and I'm going to the other extreme, of illegal supplements mm. to benefit their performance when you are doing this as a hobby. Exactly. I don't even agree that you my do mind. that when you're doing it professionally. Yeah. But it's a hobby. It's fun. Yeah. There's no reason for anyone. And, and I would like to, to point out that I think, yeah, age groupers do need to be aware that there's a lot more random testing coming in for age groupers. In fact, um, at Kona this year, and I don't know whether they do it every year, um, obviously, uh, but this was my first year racing, so this is my experience. But when we went to register... Um, all the pros were getting called in at registration to have blood tests done. Yeah, good. And also a lot of age groupers at registration were getting called up. So there were, we all were, you weren't even allowed to, you, you didn't know, or I didn't know it was going to happen, maybe it's a common occurrence, but um, you rocked up to registration for the race thinking, yep, I'll, I'll register, I'll get my backpack or whatever, I'll go off and grab coffee with mum and dad afterwards. And they don't even give you that chance. As soon as you've registered, they kind of whisk you off to this room and then you can't leave the room and that's it. And, and so I was like, oh, okay. And there were all these, it was happening to all these age groupers as well. And they sort of hadn't appreciated that. And so all everyone's plans for the rest of the day were thrown out the window. Yeah, that's like, the other side Sorry, of it. Sorry, mum and dad, I can't, <laughs> yeah, I won't be out for a few hours. Yeah, plan for logistics. Um, mm. Yeah, so it does, it does happen. So I think everyone needs to be aware of, what they are putting in their body and look hey if if they don't care and it's more important about getting a result or they don't care about the the um uh, the result of getting a positive test and what that then looks like because it's fine they can go back to their corporate job or, or whatever mm. then you know okay it's again i guess it's your own choice but having a it's a hard a, for, yeah for me a clear a clear mind that i've done everything uh, in my control to ensure that I know exactly what's inside my body um, and have that confidence that it's clean. It's it's funny though. It's still like um, you know when you get pulled over by the police and you haven't for, had like, a, a rant, drink, but you think you're gonna get done. Yes. <laughs> and and you know like you know you like I haven't had a drink for like three days or since you know I've been I've been doing you know October sober or whatever it is. But you still have that panic that yeah. you're like, what if there is a trace? And I still get that when I get drugs tested yes. after a race. It's mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty sure that there is nothing 
you know, I haven't put anything in. But like you said, that gel that you had on race day during the race and, and, and all those sort of things, you know, you just still have that that panic, that until, panic. You, until you get the results back from being clear. And then it's like, yeah, I sh- should have, you know, believed and trusted myself. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's a necessary part of our sport, I can imagine. Uh, also challenging. And from what I see with age groupers, sometimes they, it, there's a distinct hard choice. For example, their pathology results have come back that there is a need for supplementation because they're severely deficient or there's a hormone imbalance or a thyroid imbalance and they might quote unquote only be an age grouper but it is a hard decision for them because it's like well there's they're feeling the effects of that imbalance and to correct it would improve their performance but they have to take a risk that there might be some form of contamination in that process so that's where I find the decision also very hard but as a professional I think much easier and you know the things you're doing to keep yourself robust naturally are are key I think I think for age groupers if that's the situation I think you just have to be really disciplined you have to write down everything you're taking I think you have to be honest on any if you do get drugs tested you have to you know it's better to write down every those supplements on that medication I think it's worth investigating um, you know, getting a TUE if that's the case. So if you're needing some kind of supplica- supplement or medication for your general health and well-being, and particularly maybe as a female, and issues as we get older, um, it is worth though having that discussion with your doctor, saying, "Look, I'm very, I do a lot of sport. I'm passionate about this. This is the risk. How do I make sure everything it, yeah. is above board? Yeah, and really... if I still need to take that supplement, then you you get a TUE or you speak to um, your, the you know the Australian Drugs Testing Authority or or whoever your local mm. I guess contact point is to make sure you've just done everything in the cover, right way. Cover your bases. Yeah, I had a athlete recently. I was surprised it didn't get approved for a TUE and um, uh, it's therapeutic exemption. What does it the U stand for? Therapeutic use, use exemption. exemption. Yeah. Uh, so their pathology results clearly indicated through blood, saliva and urine testosterone levels in the toilet, uh, just non-existent. And so it was yeah. recommended either a tubular supplement or a bioidentical hormone. Um, but the TU wasn't a, TUE wasn't approved despite the pathology, which I found really interesting. But I know that's because it's testosterone. That's one particular yeah. one, one that's just no holes barred, really. Yeah. Mm, tricky. It's, yeah, that that does make that does make it tricky when that's the situation. But at least I, I guess, and again, then it's capturing that information that you explored that avenue and you got the evidence mm. to show that. And then then if any repercussions further down the line, at least you've got as much evidence as you can to show this was the right steps that you took. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, the other thing you mentioned earlier that made me laugh was you reckon you eat too many nuts. I don't think you can. <laughs> I mean, really? nuts are a, a massive source of healthy fats and healthy fats are the building blocks of hormones. And you said yep. you had some crappy hormones. <laughs> so eat your nuts <laughs> you see, galore. This is, this is my issue as well. When you say you can't eat, I have the appetite of um, an entire nation basically <laughs> and I can eat for days like I think at university I beat two six foot five rowers at the pizza hut challenge mm-hmm. because I ate 23 slices of pizza in one sitting 
So giving me that whole like, let's open the door and say, you can have as much of this as you want is really bad. Because again, it's that that self-control, like I said, with chocolate, once the, the bar's open or once the biscuit packet's open, they all go. The mm. same like with the bag of nuts almost. It's like once it's open, I can just sit there. And, and I'm having, I'm having like, I'm, they're not salted. I do get roasted and they're mixed nuts and I try and make sure it's, the good again like you said good the good quality. mix and good fats yeah. and that sort of thing but yeah <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm, I'm gonna challenge I you on this I'm so not sure the... I should be given that um, remit of you can't you could not for the next as much. four weeks you have a challenge yeah. for every time you eat nuts call it th- for every three nuts you put in your mouth I need you to chew ten times more than you normally would Okay, yeah. Okay. So often it comes down to mindfully eating something because when you mindfully eat it, again, hard to overdo it. And you find yes. and your body will actually digest those uh, essential fats that you're getting through the nuts, but they'll be in a more digestible form because you've chewed them properly, not hoed them down, <laughs> which is often <laughs> why your stomach can become a bottomless pit if we don't mindful, mindfully eat and actually chew, which you brought up earlier. People really need to step away from their desk to have lunch and, yeah, just chill out and eat. That's how the body – that's yes. how we get – we assimilate nutrients and actually get energy from the gut. If we don't absorb it, Eating is a waste of time. So you have a chewing mission for the next month. Report back. Okay, so <laughs> ten times mindful eating. Yes. Got it? Yep. On the fridge. Um, um chocolate addiction. <laughs> yeah. Uh my next challenge is have you heard of a brand called Pumpy Jackson? No. Uh see if you can find it in NZ. Um, otherwise just order it online in bulk because you'll eat it (laughs) (laughs) but pumpy jackson is my go-to for like a quote-unquote healthier chocolate um, in terms of its makeup ingredients the ingredients list is quite small uh, especially if you compared it to a a cadbury's or a lint or something it's also ethical chocolate which is an important decision as a chocolate addict (laughs) Um, but it has the same amount of sugar as a carrot oh and it's actually quite delicious, yeah. And it's not too, like most of the healthy chocolates are very dark chocolate. So this way you can get a more milky chocolate um, that's quite good for you. Ah, I shall look into that, I think, or that could be a risk as well. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if, well, you can just distribute a box. That's, that's what yeah, I do. I buy it in right. bulk and I use it as gifts and people love it. That yes, would be my go-to chocolate. And then anyone else listening that can't find Pumpy Jackson, go for Panna Chocolate or Loving Earth. Uh, she's, cool. writing, she's writing it down. <laughs> I got her attention on that one. Yes, I'm right I was writing those down. <laughs> All right, let's get into these, um, what do you call them, crazy hormones? Again, Did sorry? you call them wacky hormones or crazy hormones earlier? Yes, yes. Sorry, you just it was breaking up a little bit then. No worries. Uh, yes, your wacky hormones. So tell me how you feel your hormones respond to either training or nutrition and everything that you're putting into your body. Um. Yeah. 
No, interesting question because I guess um, and if we go back to food, and I know it's not quite hormones, but I've never associated the food I eat with the effect and how that makes me feel as a person. Um, but I am starting to understand, although I still struggle with the actual physical connection, that certain f- foods are going to make me feel better and certain foods are going to make me feel worse. And by that, I mean, obviously, there's a performance element, but also um, in a mood in a mood and mental state, I think. Um, so I, I tend to swing quite high from life's amazing and it's all fantastic and then literally a split second I can feel like pretty low um pretty uh, I, don't, I don't think it's quite depressed because I don't think it's a it's a longer term thing but it's uh certainly I go from these extremes of emotion and um whether that's hormonal whether that's associated with food that I'm eating or not eating um it's something that I've sort of been trying to, I guess, get my head around and make the connections. Yeah. So, would you describe it, say, say, apathy and low motivation, less get up and go, and a bit flat? Um. It's. Yeah. It's more a kind of just feeling like low. Like I'll still get up and do my training session. That's. Yeah. I guess the it's a little bit harder than if you're on that sort of high and things like that it's just a mental low i think mm. um everything theme seems more of a an issue there's those like dark storm clouds over your head so to speak and um, look yeah feel like you're very having to do things on your own and not really sure where to or how to break that cycle and get out of it. But then literally like the next, you know, that there's nothing that, that I can, there's nothing that I've identified that also snaps me out of it. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, hang on a minute. I'm totally fine again. And where did that happen? Or where did that change? Yeah. It's, I'm um, so glad you've shared that because I, I'm sure so many people are going to empathize with exactly what you've just described and it is so important to just acknowledge it. I don't think we should be aiming for, we spoke about this uh, before you pressed record, I don't feel like we should be aiming for perfection or balance or like this always stable mood. Life is never going to be that way. So there's an element of accepting the ebbs and the flows, but from what you described, if you know we can work on just lessening the lows, keep the highs there if you like them. Yeah. <laughs> and they let you do what you do. Um, but going into that comment you made around you didn't or you never attributed food and mood, when did you start to attribute it? Um, huh. Well, I, I still struggle to. But, yes, back in um, 2013, I went and had a load of blood tests and um, – looked at went to a um a sports dietitian i guess because i was wanting to sort of have a look into my eating habits and that sort of thing and it came out as a result of all those tests that i had impaired glucose tolerance which was described to me as next stop diabetes um basically um which was kind of like a little bit of a shock because i'm like okay i again I, i i don't I think I say I'm a chocoholic, but I'm not eating loads and loads of it every day for sure. Um, and and sugars, and I'm not particularly a 
I, I like sweets, I like my food, but I'm not like a candy sweet person and that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so that was a little bit of a, um, a shock. And But what there were loads of things that came out of it. One, it's actually, if it's managed the right way, it's actually beneficial for an endurance athlete and particularly a female because it's it means you're a slow burner of fuel. So you, and this is potentially why I could be that I'm robust and I can handle the load of training that that I do personally um, because I have this impaired glucose tolerance, which my body allows me to to handle a lot more load um, and to be this slow burner of fuel and, and that sort of thing. Um, but it kind of, I guess it made me aware that there are obviously some foods and obviously the high sugared foods potentially would have a, a impact on my mental and physical state. Um, but it's hard and I still struggle to make that connection and association of if I eat X, it's going to taste great at the time, but the in an hour or the next day, this is how it's going to make me feel. Um, because like I said, I've I've always loved food. I've never had to make that association. It's still probably not really been fully explained to me how that occurs. And then also subsequent blood tests and subsequent, um, specialists I've talked to have completely dismissed it and quashed it and said, Oh no, that's a load of rubbish. You don't have that at all. So I'm now then left going, Oh, do I? I don't have. What's what? And there is something that goes with me being surely these highs and lows are something due to the food I'm eating or my body, body and what it's doing inside. And so there's something going on. But you know, I was diagnosed with it back in 2013 and went through a whole series of tests with some very respectable experts in their field um, who work very high up in sport and nutrition and actually with like. Uh, the drugs testing authorities as well um and then other respected incredibly highly respected specialists have completely said oh no your test results didn't show that at all and that's a load of rubbish so it's it's kind of quite confusing as well to you've to get my head around it yeah you've essentially just summed up the nutritional industry space right now uh there are incredibly opposing opinions and views and from highly respected individuals you can get completely opposite answers uh, so you're not alone in that at all and you've certainly been posed with quite the challenge from 2013 to balance that um, glucose response and the potential performance enhancement but also then managing your long-term risk of health yeah uh so yeah that must have been very confronting yeah and i was you know especially when they said actually this condition whatever you want to call it is actually really beneficial as a female endurance athlete for what you're trying to do it's actually a real advantage for you to have this as mm -hmm. an athlete because it does allow you to train and recover and have that load but they did but you know that that comes with the caveat of if we manage it well for your long-term health. So they gave me met metformin tablets to take. Well, they lasted about a month and then I was like, I don't need Ooh. to be putting any of this system in my body. No, <laughs> Again, you. going back to that, I don't want to be taking any tablets mm. or supplements or anything. But also probably because, you know, I started taking these tablets and I couldn't, I couldn't feel, I couldn't see any difference. And so it, that, and again, that's that, 
connection it might be the type of athletes we are in terms of you know we if we've got that if we can see those watts on the on the bike we know we're pushing ourselves or those core circuit where your abs are really screaming at you rather than like actually the stuff you need to do which is those tiny little movements of stability and that sort of thing but that doesn't make you feel like you're doing a workout yeah good it, being a little bit the same with these sort of the tablets initially it was like i don't feel am i meant to feel better on these what is better because i didn't feel particularly bad beforehand but obviously i've now got this to manage and so i actually i mean i stopped taking those years and years ago as well i think i did last sort of one maybe one cycle through um but yeah and since then you know i i do try to cut out those high sugars so i rarely eat pasta i rarely eat rice um you know i'll do the sweet potato and that's the thing although although then sweet potato gets thrown out the window because someone said oh that actually has got high sugar and it's got a high glycemic index so Mm. that's just as bad as having your pasta and rice and i was like oh (laughs) that's something that someone was told me i could eat loads of kind of thing yeah i can understand the confusion and i think this is a really important point it's not about the individual foods it's about the foods you group it with because every time we eat we need to make sure we build a plate of fats proteins and carbohydrates from whole foods ideally plants and starchy vegetables and it's only in the case that you eat a shit ton of sweet potato with nothing else that it's going to spike your insulin but if you have it with butter and vegetables and some olive oil on a salad dressing and some avocado and some nuts and some protein it's going to be fine so it's all about the context of how you build that plate yeah because and and that makes sense and one thing that sticks out in my head back from 2013 when we're first talking about it talking about foods and that matching was that um so water, and you can correct me if mm. I'm wrong on this, watermelon is quite high in um, sugar content and that glycemic index, hence why after a race, often you'll find mm. they're giving out watermelon because it's actually, that's when you need that that sugar. Um, but for me to eat that on its own isn't a good idea, but as long as if I put it with something like yogurt, with a low sugar content yogurt, then again, there's that balance. Mm. Yeah, it's about that food group. And it would be fine. That was one of the examples. Yeah, it's more about also the context of a day. So we've got our meals and then we've got our day and the timing of those meals, the timing around training and all those sorts of things. But I will have um, a nutritionist on the podcast. So I'll dive into that topic with them. I'll make sure you listen and we can clarify all of that. Because the other thing is that even... Medical opinion, expert opinion has changed a lot just since 2013. There's been so much research, um, anecdotal and um, peer-reviewed that has shifted the norms. So I think that's part of it as well. It's an ever-changing landscape and we need to stay up with it. But the key message would be is find out what works for you and test yourself. So you do power testing a lot. Um, you do you know, your biomechanics testing on the bike. I would put the same approach to nutrition. It's like, all right, N equals one. I'm going to put X protocol in place for six weeks. We're going to measure this at the start. We're going to measure it again uh, at the end and see what worked and what didn't and then go to phase two of the testing protocol, quote unquote. That would be the approach I would take for food with you because it's, you know, it's a more individual case. 
um, mainly be, because yeah. of the long-term effects. Like, you're performing brilliantly at the moment. But I would love to see you perform brilliantly for another five years. And I think that's the key. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess that's another thing of, like, going, well, I... I guess I don't see any detriment on my performance. But then I guess there's that question mark about is there another step of elevation to be gained by getting it right? Like, mm, 100%. and that's maybe the, maybe the question. Have you um, done metabolic efficiency testing? Do you know? No, I haven't. Mm, that's what I would definitely recommend. Again, I will have an expert on the show on metabolic efficiency <laughs> testing, but uh, what we're looking at there is your ability to oxidize fats and carbohydrates at a given intensity but you could also do it on the bike. Uh, I would recommend for you to do bike and running so you can look at heart rate and power and all those things. So in yeah. training, you could finish a session and know, all right, I've averaged X watts and I know for those watts I burn uh, equivalent of uh, 100 grams of carbohydrates. And so yeah. varying the intensity of the session, you can then vary that uh, carbohydrate load that you eat post-training and initially that might be hard to get your head around but it does become intuitive and I don't need to measure or track anything anymore I just know what my body needs for varying intensities or power outputs uh, from that testing that would be really beneficial uh, also chat to Bev I know he's got contacts over there for metabolic efficiency testing yep we'll do I've given you a bit of homework <laughs> I know, I'm writing, scribbling away, as I do with my lists and my book. It's oh, great, it's fantastic. We have so much more to talk about, but I'm aware that we are coming up to time, so we might have to schedule podcast number two in the future. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I'm, look, I've really enjoyed this. I mean, I hope people, I, I kind of forget that it's going out on a podcast and people are going to be listening to it. It's just been quite interesting. Well, it is a brand new podcast, so numbers are low, but as soon as you share it, it will go to big numbers. So much. I'm definitely happy to come back on and talk about, you know, we spoke before we started recording about some other areas, which um, I think, although I think will be quite difficult for me to talk about, I think will be valuable to people listening. So. I'm prepared to do that. Cool. Well, I would. I love that you would trust me with that conversation so we can chat more and plan ahead and I'll reach out to the community, see what sort of key areas they'd like me to probe you on and that would be brilliant. Before we wrap up, let listeners know where they can find you and I know you support some amazing causes as well, so let us know about all of that. Oh, gosh, where can they find me? Pretty global. I'd probably if I had an address, but I know you mean social media. I um, do know, yes. So, yeah, um, Twitter and Instagram, um, LM Siddall for Twitter, LM Sid for Instagram. Um, Facebook, I don't have a professional athlete page. It is sort of on my list to do in the coming weeks or months, I think, but I'm, again, a few reservations about that. But connect with me on Facebook. Um, send me a little message just so that I know you heard me on the podcast or something like that and I, and I can then accept accept friendship and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> website, I mean, just if you see me at a race, please come up and say hello. I love chatting and connecting to everybody. Um, and yeah, I mean, Charity's done a lot of work with More Than Sport this year, uh, which has given me some great opportunities to do some volunteer work and some community work um, where I race. Uh, Challenged Athletes Foundation is another one, passionate, and um, you get behind Lauren Parker and her foundation and what she's trying to do and achieve um, 
since her accident is she's actually I mean I'm not sure when this is going out but she's actually going to be racing in her first race yes that's next uh, weekend, this weekend yeah. which is ridiculous I mean it's not even what a year since since horrible accident but just absolutely amazing and shows um, the sort of determination and, and the person she is so mm. no yeah, I, I think it's brilliant organizations that are involved all those causes that you support are fantastic and in the show notes it will come out after Lauren's race but I'll link to her cause and her page to follow that journey uh, that's been incredible I had an athlete at Ironman Bustleton having a very rough day like many people did uh, out on course and they are a veteran Ironman and that anyone would have forgiven them for uh, throwing in the towel on that particular day yes but yes. <laughs> They were on lap three of the marathon and talking about uh, pulling out. And I said, give it one more lap and then you can. Let's just decide yeah. after that. And then I looked up and 100 metres ahead was Lauren in her wheelchair. Yeah. And I said, you better run right now because that woman right there would give anything to be you. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, they cross the finish line yeah and I'm <laughs> going. Goosebumps. yeah <laughs> goosebumps you're just saying that I know it, I mean look and I know it's 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 all relevant into our own situations but yeah it's something we have to kind of whilst we go through those horrible dark patches and you think the world's going to end in your race and you just feel horrific and and everyone has a choice and I respect the people that pull out for their own various reasons but we also have the choice that we're doing this and a lot of people would mm. give anything to be able to do what we do and, and for me as a professional to be able to do what I do. Yeah. Um, and we often, we do forget that. We do get caught up in our own little worlds and and things. So it is, I just, I, I found it immense value to me as a person, but also just to be involved and, and to get to know Lauren, to get to know the Challenged Athletes Foundation, um, some of the... the the groups I've met through more than sport as well, the Special Olympics team, um, and that sort of thing, and just and just met some. I, I just love sport, and I love meeting people who have sport as a passion. And when sport's given me so many opportunities in my life, that the power of sport and seeing how it can have such a positive effect on people physically, mentally, whatever it may be. Is, is huge for me and I want to support that and, 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 and be involved in that going forward, I guess. And true credit to you, uh, you're not going to take this well, but uh, to give you a bit of kudos, you are a true professional in the way that you carry yourself and the causes that you support and the things that you do. We've spoken about how you support being robust, but there's so much more to your professional life than the training and the recovery and I can certainly see that and she's being very honest when she says come and approach her at a race I can vouch for that she's very open and willing to up for a chat uh, and yeah. we'll welcome that with open arms so don't be afraid even if you haven't met her before just roll up she's got a really good looking kit uh, let her know her <laughs> kit looks good and you heard her on the podcast and uh yeah, have a chin wag because she's great to get to know. <laughs> no, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so for coming, coming on. Uh, look forward to getting you on again. Fantastic. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on this time. It was good to chat and I will take home, take away my homework and I will... Uh, we'll have to report back. back on how I'm going. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks again. No worries. Thank you.